time for some rum and cola for your soul with your host Cindy Felt Cool, a lady who isn't good at being religious, but she thinks Jesus is awesome. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing my good friend Elena. This lady is a constant encourager to me. She's a single mom of two incredibly adorable daughters who are strong, sassy, and kind, which is what I love to see in moms raising little girls today. I'm going to talk to Elena about how when she was going through a divorce, she put up with some ridiculous crap from church culture and how she ultimately rose above it and became the strong, amazing woman that she is today. So Elena, let's just start out with the question we all want to know. How'd you get to be so awesome? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's a little more direction for you. I'd like you to share your story of struggling with shame in church culture. Sure. Well, I honestly did not choose to be divorced. I had no choice because it wasn't a healthy situation for myself or my girls to be in. I think when people hear that, they might automatically assume, you know, physical abuse, but there's other kinds. There can be the gaslighting, there can be infidelity, which is adultery. And there was a slew, there were a slew of reasons why I could no longer be married. But I think that wasn't apparent to people. We were in a married small group at the time at a church, and there were some women who I did take into my confidence, but I know that there were some that said, well, basically, you know, if you're going to have your husband leave, he can stay with us, but only if you guys get back together. And this couple knew all of the things that we were going through. And at times I can't blame them because there are stories of husbands and wives who go through a period of estrangement and they get back together and are reconciled. And I think that those stories are lifted up as the ideal, that if you just hang in there, you'll have your reconciliation too. But that's not always the way that it goes. And I think the women especially are looked upon, well, what did you do? And to be honest, this was not my choice, but I had no choice. So some of what I faced was when I was in the children's ministry, I had to relay to a woman in that ministry why my husband was no longer living with us because I told him he had to find another place to live while he worked on himself and to see if we could get back together. I revealed the infidelities that had happened and really, without getting into too much detail, but the layers of deceit, the layers of deception. And I had only touched upon it a little bit. And she basically said, well, it's not as if you didn't lose the baby weight. I didn't even know what to say, but I walked away from that interaction going, wait a minute, this is so messed up. Is this woman actually saying that if I hadn't lost the baby weight from having my second child, then my husband would have every right to then cheat on me and go outside the marriage? This is some really messed up thinking that elevates the man's role in some way that is unhealthy, and that's not what Jesus would want. Um, And I ultimately had to make the decision 
to stop going to that church, not not just because of that comment, but because I didn't want my daughters to be looked down upon and to be thought of as, oh, those are the poor little girls whose, you know, mother couldn't reconcile with her father and just overlook everything. And um, I didn't want them to be treated differently. I didn't want to have them covered in shame that was being put on me. Now, that being said, there were some women who stood by my side and they understood. And some of them had had experiences where they came from broken homes, or I don't even like to say that word, but homes where their parents weren't together. And that was new to me because I grew up in a home where my parents were together. And I had to break out of the thinking that if you obey God in this and this and this area, and you quote unquote, do the right things, and this is the outcome that you're going to get. And there was there was that shame feeling of how can I even walk into this, this sanctuary because my life is in shambles and the way that I thought things were going to go um, is so different from the way things are going. When we shame somebody that it didn't work out with, it hurts all of us because then we're all afraid to say that we're having difficulties. We're ha- afraid to get help early. Yes. We just keep hiding it. Yes, and if I can say two two things when I was living in Los Angeles, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but there was a very hard time I was going through in my marriage. I had a young daughter and a daughter on the way. My husband was out of work for about 10 months, and I had a lot of anxiety. And we went to see the assistant pastor uh, because I just wanted my husband to understand where I was coming from because I had so much anxiety. I wanted to be heard. And basically what came from that quote unquote counseling session was that I had no right to approach my husband about my fears and anxieties that I needed to let him go do his job search. And I needed to let him do what he needed to do. And I wasn't able to bring those things to him. I needed to be silent. And I kid you not, that is what happened. And I only realized the significance of that years later when we were divorced because, or when we were going through it, because that was perfect for my ex-husband. He did, not only did he get to do his own thing, but he didn't have to deal with me. And I wasn't going to come to him complaining, why don't you have a job? I was coming to him saying, I have these fears. I have these anxieties. Could we pray about it together? I was crying out for someone to care about me. And in that example, that is not normal. It has taken me years to realize that what I experience is absolutely not normal. It's a male counselor that helped me to realize that because my thinking was so jacked up. So coming from that experience then in the church has been a slow shedding of basically a coat or a cloak of shame um, from that time. And it comes off in layers, but I now know that I'm worthy of a relationship where I could approach my partner and say, I have some anxieties. I just like to talk about these things with you. But I then was more vulnerable for disrespect. And I'll be honest with you, um, someone in a church setting just shoveled a bunch of shame on me. And again, I've just had to run to God to take off that cloak of shame because it doesn't need to be on any one of us. And if I hadn't known you and been friends with you and kept up with your blog and your writing that says, hey, wait a minute, there's something wrong with that. When you were telling me, I put up with people in the church disrespecting me because I thought that was the way that it 
needed to be in this culture, especially from other males, I wouldn't have been able to see that. It's not an in-your-face, you-take-that. I'm talking about human-to-human respect. That why do we think once we're in the church walls that that doesn't apply? And there's dignity in walking as a woman who loves the Lord and who wants to be close to him. And it doesn't come from me having a husband, but it comes from making God my everything because I have to. Yeah. I just want to say thank you for your helping me to see that I don't have to be covered by it. And I think that does a good service for the next generation because I can show my girls that they don't have to be covered with shame, that they can let those things go because that doesn't need to be on them in the first place. Like you say, not that we stop being angry about those things. We shouldn't be because it's wrong. But maybe because of what I've been through, they're not going to have to let that pain stick to them. I want to be at a church that doesn't see them any different for having two parents that are not together than a a family that's a unit. And there are a lot of times I've gone to church and I've cried afterwards because I see husband and wife holding hands. And I had the experience of being next to a man who was in church and he would lift his hands and praise, but it was an extremely broken union with a lack of intimacy. There were so many times that I cried, but now I experience church as a place of healing because it's me and the Lord. Yeah, that's so powerful. I don't know when you're talking there, I'm just sitting here like so angry that we have misrepresented Jesus so badly and and it hurts everybody. <laughs> I think we all get like all these messed up messages. If we can't be real and we always have to present the best and the positive and encouraging, sorry, Caleb, but it's life isn't all positive <laughs> and encouraging. <laughs> Not everybody drives a minivan and has a perfect little life, but God still loves us. <laughs> Yes. But if we can't be honest about that, like every area of our life that we're struggling, that we all have struggles and it doesn't always look nice and neat and shiny. It always hurts all of us and keeps us from real connections with each other and with God. That's That's good. I should write a book. (laughs) That's amazing. All right. What should we talk about next? Can I share the verse that I shared last time? Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to just bring up something that I heard you say, like, what if churches were a safe place for us to struggle? And it just reminded me of a verse that I've loved before I went through my divorce and then recovery from it. But it's Psalm 35. I'm sorry, Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to God are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. And if something is radiant, they're basking in a glow and they're the face of every woman who's experiencing shame, I just picture, is lifted up into that beautiful, mellow, summer, hazy, just fragrant air, and they're basking in the glow of the sun and basking in the glow of God, and they're not hiding, just like you said. And part of the recovery for me was getting with women who I could be real with, and I could be transparent with, and I could come with all my junk and all my stress and all my anger and all my tears and really be known and loved for who I was. And I had been blessed enough to grow up with those kinds of women friends who helped me when I was on the phone with them the night that things really 
hit the fan, you could say, <laughs> I was up till, you know, three in the morning with one of my friends and another friend said, you just need to get out of there. And I, I said, I am going to get out of there. I'm going to change the locks. So there were some heavy things that happened, but I, I felt that unconditional love from some women friends, which also gave me the courage to really, my pastor now says a lady doesn't go where she's not wanted. She doesn't stay there. And it was so clear that my husband at the time didn't want to be married. It couldn't have been any more clear that for me to hang on and subject myself to that any further would have covered myself with more shame and more abuse. But people don't know that from the outside. All they see is, well, you know, you weren't able to make it work. So obviously, you you know, you're not going to be able to part be a part of this you know, the culture that we have here. And it, it was more subtle than that. But I would say I was still able to go to that couples group even after the the separation happened and I wasn't yet divorced. They made it clear that I was welcome there, which was great. But I just didn't feel that that was a place for me. I needed something else. So I did happen to go to divorce care, which I really appreciated. It was held at a church and um, both men and women could get real about the pain of divorce and moving through it to encourage one another and to find that support and healing. So I feel like God provided pockets of real safety for me. And I've met many other women who either have similar stories than me or have also been divorced. And I love talking to women and and I see that their heads are are lifted up. And I, my prayer for them is they wouldn't be covered with shame. And that's awesome. And you help yeah. me do that too. <laughs> oh, that's who you, you are. <laughs> this is one of the things that I, when I say that I think that you're better than, or you're such a strong, encouraging person. I, I am so, people know, we always joke about, I'm so bitter and I'm vindictive. <laughs> and like I talked to, uh, this is how I know that we need to be more respectful of divorced women all the women that I talked to about doing this kind of podcast mm. would all say, I don't want to throw my husband under the bus or I don't want to throw my ex under the bus. And I was always mm. like, I want to throw him under a bus. <laughs> you want to throw him under a Mack truck and back it up. <laughs> so I was like, the respect and the healing that takes place in people's lives, we really need mm-hmm. to honor that. Because it's true. I know, like, we joke about that the reason that I'm still married is because my husband's scared of me. (laughs) (laughs) I know how bitter I get when somebody hurts me. Mm. And I'm very vindictive and a lot of white trash in me and stuff. (laughs) And, And honestly, it is beautiful to see somebody that has been so hurt and has risen above it. And I really believe we should honor that. Mm. And... I guess that was the thing that I saw when I was editing the last podcast that I screwed up. And I want women to know that. And I want the churches to see Hmm. that. Like, this is a battle that you went through. And Hmm. even, and we can't judge from the outside what caused it or even, and like, I know in your case, it wasn't you being an awful person, but I, I certainly have been in places where I was an awful person and could have gotten a divorce and, you know, but we were afraid. (laughs) My husband was afraid of me. (laughs) But, But if, even if that had been the case, people, there's forgiveness and there's, there's getting past it. And it's always a battle that a person's been through and we shouldn't make a judgment. We should say, 
wow, yes, this person's been through that. And yes. look at where they are now. Yes. And so I don't That's know so if true. I said that well. <laughs> you absolutely did. And I think one thing that you and I have talked about too is there's some fear involved. I think if if people in the church are embracing, especially women who have been married and just loving on them as they are, there's a, a fear, I think, that maybe some married couples might have that, oh, it could happen to me too. But all you're wishing and hoping and inoculating yourself over, will this happen to me too, isn't going to prevent that from happening. If you reach out to a person who has been divorced, you're caring for the least of these. You're caring for your fellow traveler on this earth. I shouldn't say the least of these, the yeah, greatest of these saying. too, you know, sorry, but yeah. you know, you're, you're, yeah, that, that was the wrong statement. You're, you're reaching out to a fellow human and fear can prevent us so often from, from reaching out the fear that this could happen to, to you and newsflash, like you said, it could, we can't control that other person. Um, and no amount of checking all the boxes and doing the right thing and being part of a church and going to a small group and anything is going to change anything. Uh, if I can call out sexual addiction here, I will. If I can call out pornography, I'm going to. That is a huge problem in itself that nobody really wants to talk about. Uh, but I've known the women that I have talked to that have been affected by those things have grown and grown and grown. And this is a whole other podcast, but I, I want to write an article like, let's women, let's stop pretending that pornography is not a big deal. Let's just stop it right. because it is. And I'm sorry, but nobody in our country is not impacted by pornography. Nobody doesn't struggle with, unless, I mean, like you might not struggle with temptation, but you see it like it's there. If you get on the internet, you're going to at least see something. So we ought to be able to go to other people in, that are Christians and say, hold me accountable. Yes. This is a temptation and whatever in our life, like we should, the gospel is knowing that we're all messed up and God loves us anyway. And <laughs> we right. want to be better because he loves us so much. That's right. So why do we have such a hard time admitting <laughs> That we're messed up and we need each other. Yes. So anyway. Yes, as we can go underground with that. And just I remember looking in the mirror one day and just when all this was going on and saying, you know what, if if Christ has redeemed me, no one can discard me. And discard is a really, really big word. Uh, I believe it's in the book of Malachi that God was uh, upset with the people of Israel because they were withholding tithes. They The husbands were just basically divorcing their wives and just casting them aside and putting, as the writer of Malachi said, a cloak of violence over them. They could do it very, very easily for not that great of a reason. Just make up a reason. God wasn't pleased with that. He stopped talking to that nation until the book of Matthew it made a huge impact on me because God saw the divorced woman and he prepared my heart for what that was going to be like even before it happened to me. He prepared me through hearing that at the church I was going to. That was one of the really positive things hearing that sermon that God's heart was for the woman who was quote unquote discarded. And there is a pain that if you haven't experienced it, you don't know. It's like bleeding out. 
you talk about being run over, like that pain is just, you know, New Life Ministries psychologists describe it as being run over by a car and then the car backs up over you and run over again and backs up over you because all the dreams that you built and you thought you were going to have this life together, nobody gets married so that they can say 10 years later, the person that they married just changed their minds about it. It's something that it's not really easily put into words. And then to have shame on top of that, there were things that I should have done X, Y, and Z to change that when it was the decision of another person who wanted nothing to do with me. That is a double shame. And I'm so thankful that Jesus helps remove it. He removes it completely. And friends like you can see that. Um, I'm not saying that I'm perfect by any means, but coming to terms with the fact that that discard, I didn't ask for that. But Jesus doesn't see me like that. He wants to lift my head and he doesn't want my head to be covered with shame. That's the thing that in all the stories of Jesus, he always separated people from their shame. Yeah. Like whatever they were doing, that wasn't who they were. And when we know him, we're his children that he endures and we share everything with him. And when we don't know him, we're his children that he misses. And that's it. That's the way he sees the world. And he wants to free us from anything else. Yes. That's my, <laughs> that's my sermon for the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's but, beautiful. No, um, we, we have talked about just in general, not even realizing when you're, you're submersed in the culture, you don't realize sometimes how much you're letting people disrespect you. Mm. And for me, um, I know I've had people tell me, why do you let people disrespect you so much? And I was like, I didn't know I did until it was, and I started seeing it and it was like, I just always thought I deserved it. Yes. Like I could see it when it was directed at other people. Like if somebody disrespects you, I'm going to go like swear. Um, anyway, I mean, (laughs) I'm just going to be so mad because I see so much goodness in you and I don't want anybody to ever disrespect you. So I'll go ballistic on them, all mafia, redneck, white trash, whatever. (laughs) And then when it's me, I'm like, oh, well, I know how bad I am. So I think Mm. I deserve it. Especially like with a mom of three sons and a husband, I always saw the good things in them. It's like, well, they deserve that respect. Right. But I didn't see that I deserved it, too. That's right. That's so true. About a month before things started surfacing, and I knew for a while things were really, really rocky, but I could never put my finger on what was happening. It was like, you know, being spun inside a washing machine with your eyes closed. Um, In a small group, I I basically, we had to go around and say something about our spouse encouraging and I basically told the group like you know what my husband is almost always right and the times that I don't listen to him I usually realize that he was right how much I don't want to say devotion but just such loyalty was I giving to someone that had absolutely no intention of returning that and having born two children for that person 
that is a a really hard blow to realize that that was my thinking towards a person who is so actively breaking a union. You know, I don't know if it's okay to share this on the podcast. I'm just going to, you've known this before, but you can edit it out if you don't want it to be on it. But <laughs> well, the, it's, it's, it's you. That, yeah. <laughs> Nothing's going to offend me. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> you bring freedom. That's what you do. Um, but the day after Thanksgiving in 2014, I had to go to my primary care physician and get tested for HIV and AIDS um, when I had only ever been with the person that was my husband. So that was a level of what is happening in my life. There's no church safeguards. It doesn't matter what kind of family I've been brought up. It doesn't matter what I studied in college. It doesn't matter that I'm a mom of two girls. Nothing was safe to run to except God. And so then for shame to be put on me, I was actively put in harm's way. If I had to get an AIDS test, yes, I was put in harm's way. And I think... That anyone who would try to tell me, well, you know, at least you, you know, you'd lost the baby weight, saying that someone would possibly have a right to do that to me uh, if I hadn't lost a certain amount of weight, which is just a strange thinking to begin with. No, I don't accept that. I didn't ask to have to go and get an HIV and AIDS test after I'd been married 10 years. So there's a lot of freedom, I think, in acknowledging how hard something is, which is why I really appreciate talking to you because it's okay to go to those places and hopefully it can be freeing to someone else to say, you know what, someone else might understand or hear you on your podcast and your blog saying, I felt the same way. Now I feel like it's safer to be able to come out into the light and and get help or get get someone that I trust to talk to or message Cindy. <laughs> Subscribe to her, her, her podcast. Well, and that that's one thing we've talked about before, too. So often, church people think that they, they can make accurate judgments. Hmm. And, and the Bible talks about frequently not judging. And I feel like we say this all the time that we're not supposed to wow. judge. Yes. But what the Bible teaches is not to condemn. And I can't make a judgment about anybody in any situation of where their heart was. But it seems like that we missed that point. And I, I've seen this so many times. And every time I've seen people taking sides with somebody divorced, it's always been the wrong person. Yeah, because I, I guess I have it. That's why I have so much sympathy for them because I don't know how to play church well. (laughs) I know I would be, I'm like always with the person that the church kicked out. I'm like, I go ask them what's up because I'm like, yeah, I I would, that would be me. Because I know if Brian and I got divorced, I know who would come out looking bad. (laughs) So yeah, just being real. Is there anything else you would like to share? There's an encouraging part to this that I think I've had to confront ways in which maybe I have unknowingly, maybe, but again, we're all sinful. (laughs) We're all fallen. Um, Tried to put shame on other people or even allowed that because I either wasn't aware or maybe I had fear in my own life. So I want to be more aware of how my words or my judgments, even if I'm not aware of making them, would make others feel. And that's why I'm so thankful for your 
writing and you're speaking up because we do have to be more aware and we are responsible for how we make other people feel. And the church that I'm going to now, um, I just remember last Mother's Day service, the pastor was talking about his mom who was a single mom and it really touched me and I went up to him after and I said, you know, thank you for just giving dignity to the stories of single moms. He said, yeah, of course, why wouldn't I? I grew up in a single mom household. And just the ease with which he said it was really healing because I don't feel like I'm set apart there. I feel like it's okay to be who I am there in some ways that just embracing the reality that I'm a single mom. And I can join with other single moms and they still see me as having something to bring to the table because of the worth that I have as a child of God. And again, I don't think churches are perfect, but that's just a little bit of redemption of that, well, that wasn't foreign to my pastor that he said that on Mother's Day. It's not just the perfect cookie cutter families that get to enjoy Mother's Day or Father's Day that I can be seen there and not push to the side. That's a blessing. No matter what happens, I'm just thankful that God gave me that little encouragement because sometimes it's not easy to be a single mom. That's why I love to encourage them because it's something that you really have to experience. And once you do, you really have a heart for other women going through the same experience because everything is on you. It's like the mom show. And I'm grateful for you for even being able to say that. That's not a what was me victim attitude, but what would happen if instead of looking down at the single mom, we prayed for her, for God to strengthen and encourage her with whatever she's going on that week when she has to be both mother and father. And there are examples in the Bible where Jesus embraced being very maternal towards his children. And he he embraced that joy and that affection like a mother would. And I really appreciate that God sees where I am, even if other people don't. That's actually one of the things that I've been, I've been thinking about, like I'm kind of obsessed now with is seeing people and valuing their stories and giving dignity to everybody's story. Amen. It always matters. It empowers us all because we're all messed up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just saying, especially when people listen to this, like all of us are messed up. If you're here, it's because, I mean, but we are, we all struggle with something. And if we have to hide that, then it just creates fear and separation from us. Wow. And sometimes it only takes one person to model how to do that because we didn't necessarily grow up in homes where we felt safe to do that. So that's why you're such a blessing to be able to model, wait a minute, what I do feel is valid and I do need to express it in a way that honors myself and what I've gone through. We should be listening to the survivors. It makes us confront our own issues and it makes us better. So the fact that you're giving voice to those who have struggled, it I, it lifts us all up. So thank you. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all those things with us and being so vulnerable. It really, really takes a lot of courage to share so much personal stuff. 
I know it's going to empower others. So I'm super thankful to you for sharing that. Thank you guys for listening. I hope that you feel like that you were right here in the room with us, enjoying some rum and cola, and that your soul has been both encouraged and calmed. Blessings, guys.